Hi, it's Radio G with the Holistic Health Hotline, um, or what it has become over the course of the last few years, which is holistic health in a global perspective of the personal being political and politics being personal. And, of course, um, we're in that time of the year when politics kind of really take a personal um get a personal attack, I guess is the right words, because Christmas, of course, is being attacked as usual, and uh, Christianity is being attacked, and religion is being attacked, and anything else we can think of that our country, at least, the United States, is built on is being attacked. But we need to understand that um, religion is religion. The United States was not built on the premise of religion. It was built on the premise of belief. And belief in a higher power is basically uh, the tenet of the world, but in our particular case, it's the belief in God, that God is a higher power. He's higher and more important than we are. He knows more than we do, or she does. And it doesn't matter if you think it's a he or a she, because he's and she's are really he's and she's. They're they're <laughs> they're only on in our perspective so totally different. But in uh, in the universal perspective, he's and she's are he's and she's. We all have male and female energy. So you know, stop with the it's a he or a she. Forget that part. The part you have to always remember is that there is a higher vibration, a much higher vibration, than what any of us have. And the people who founded America, who came from other countries all over the world who were being oppressed and killed and shackled and all those things, who came here to find freedom, did it in waves. They they did it in groups so that each group had their philosophy, their theology, their understanding of the world. And... Um, and sometimes tried to impose that on others. The Puritans sure did. The Puritans did not believe in Christmas at all. Well, they did, but they didn't believe in any display of Christmas. You didn't say Merry Christmas. You didn't have a Christmas tree and Christmas wreaths and nativity sets and all those kinds of things that, that people used to depict the holiday. Um, but they did, of course, they were Puritans. They did believe in God. And our country was was founded on a Judeo-Christian principle which totally means um, a belief in God and to many a belief in Christ. And Christ and God are the same if you listen to what they say. I am, therefore I am, means God is Christ and Christ is God. So it's really the same. Um, but that's what our country was founded on. And, and then, of course, all the different uh, immigrants who came here had their own understanding of how to celebrate Christmas, and so Christmas started having a lot of traditions, um, songs and cards. And and as artists got in, involved, you know, they would depict scenes that showed what Christmas was all about, trying to always inform everyone that, that this was a country that was born of those beliefs and should celebrate that birthday. In, in the ways that people do. And, and sometimes that involves religion. That means to some going to midnight mass. I know when I was a kid, my aunt went to midnight mass at an Episcopal church. And then, of course, she'd show up at the door 
at 12.30 or quarter to one or whatever it was and want to have everybody up and out of bed so that Christmas could happen because it was after 12, so it must be Christmas. And um, and my parents, I didn't have many Christmases, but um, in fact, I'm not sure I really had any, but when she showed up at the door, everybody would have to get up and at least sit around and eat with her so that uh, so that we had Christmas with her. But the point is, is that she went to Midnight Mass at the Episcopal Church, which is not the same as going to Midnight Mass at a Catholic Church or a Protestant Church or a Lutheran Church, if they even have those. And what's interesting is that a lot of the churches these days say they have Midnight Mass and they start at 10. Um, so I'm not sure even <laughs> how the Midnight Mass came about. But I did go away last weekend to a mountain, Pine Mountain, in Georgia, um, and went through the town where you know, Warm Springs where FDR was and can't believe how they have capitalized on looking at two little swimming pools that are called the Warm Spring pools that he used to uh, soak his legs in and have his affairs in and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they're really just two swimming pools and they want to charge people a lot of money to see them. But I didn't go. I wouldn't give them the money. Um, and Warm Springs itself is a quaint little town, and, and it does have a nice history, and you can see the architectural history. And uh, they have a little um, alleyway that's called Eleanor's Alley and things like that. So that was kind of interesting. But the, but the most interesting thing is, is Callaway Gardens, which is considered the largest garden in the world. Uh, it's 13,000 acres of gardens. And a book has been written about it called Those Are My Trees. Um which is based on the fact that there are so many employees there who just spend every day gardening. It's either taking care of the plants that are already planted or designing more planting areas, planting more trees, um, you know, fertilizing, doing all the stuff that you do with gardens. And <clears throat> the book was based on those employees, not on the owners, the Callaways, but on the people who have actually built the garden. And... During the course of writing the book, the author asked this this one man, "You know, why is it so important to you to be to be here? What what is it about this garden that's so important to you?" And he said, "Well, I've been here for you know 60 years and um, and gardening the whole time, and it's a beautiful place to be. It's peaceful. It 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 actually is. It's a very extremely peaceful place." And um, he looked around and he pointed to a grove of trees and he said, you see those trees over there, those trees are mine. Because he planted them and they're now 60, 70, 80 feet tall. And, and that's watching the growth in a garden. And they wanted that garden to be like the Garden of Eden when it started. It, it was barren land. But before it's done to be the, the last garden before Gabriel blows his horn. So anyway, it's a gorgeous place, and every year they have this this festival called the Festival of Lights, and all three generations of Callaways have not only added to the gardens, but they keep adding to this Festival of Lights, which is just extraordinary. It's um, I've been to many gardens. We have um, Bellingrath Gardens in in Alabama that we've taken people to. The light the light displays there for Christmas are outstanding. The azaleas in the spring are overwhelming and breathtaking but Callaway is probably five times ten times bigger I don't know you really have to drive just to go through the lights it takes over an hour so you can tell how how large it probably is and expansive it is but as we were going through the lights um, in a car it takes an hour driving two miles an hour through 
this thing, and and you hang out the windows, and it's freezing cold because you're whatever thousands of feet up in the air. Uh, so I got a little bit of altitude sickness too, I think, but and froze. It was cold, but you had to hang out the windows to take pictures. So we didn't get many that worked anyway, that weren't fogged up or or blurry. And you have to kind of keep moving because thousands and thousands of cars go through there. But they did the 12 days of Christmas, and as they were doing it, we were kind of talking because it was amazing to watch, and and they had music all tied to all the the lights. But but we all remembered that there was another meaning. Um, that there was a Christian faith meaning in the 12 days of Christmas, that the partridge in a pear tree was, was Jesus, who died on a tree as a gift from God. And so when you hear the song on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, the true love is God, and the me represents um, who receives those presents as the Christian. And the partridge in a pear tree was Jesus, who died in a tree. And then the second day of Christmas was two turtle doves. That's supposed to be the Old and the New Testaments. The third day, the three French hens. That's faith, hope, and charity. And um, many of the stores around the towns there actually had the three French hens as the major thing to buy, whether it was pins or lighted pins or um, postcards or whatever. It's the three French hens. Not necessarily knowing that, that this was one of the Christian depictions of, the, uh, of what they meant, the faith, hope, and charity, but somehow inside thinking... These mean something more than three French hens because um, a French hen isn't really that much different from a German hen or anything else. But the French hens are faith, hope, and charity. The fourth day, the four calling birds, as you ride through the lights, you can hear the birds calling. And those are the four Gospels or the four evangelists. Those are um, people who understand or read the Bible understand what that means but they're the calling birds are calling out to people to understand the words um, in the Old and New Testaments and then you have in the Old Testament you have many books but the first five books are the golden rings and and I've read of course the Bible back and forth a dozen times and um, and I don't like the Old Testament I, I think it was written as the Old Testament for the older people who under stood only that part of of what living was about and needed the Old Testament. But those are the five golden rings, the first five books, who begat who, where, and why. It's mostly so we understand that we have a history and that we're bound to that history with with the symbolism of rings, that they're never-ending. You can add to the rings, always. You know, you put an engagement ring on your left hand, and then if you're a female, and then all of a sudden you get a wedding ring, and that that seals the deal. That actually puts the engagement ring behind it and says, now you're not just engaged, not just promising something, but you're actually committed. Um, and then you might not be committed. You could take those off. But the ring itself never changes. It's still a ring. And so the five golden rings are the first five books of the Old Testament, meaning that history is always going to be there, or portions of it, or distorted portions of it, whichever way we have to look at it. And we have to know our history to move on, to understand who we are today. And then you have the sixth day of Christmas, which is six geese are laying. That's six days of creation. They're laying eggs. They are actually um, causing the birth of, of us, of the world. Uh, and then the seven days is the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, the seven swans of swimming. Um, and the swans, of course, are, are 
quite beautiful in nature. They sound like old men when they make their sounds, but they'll come up to you and they'll rah, 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 rah. But, <laughs> but, um, but they're supposed to be the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the eighth days, eight maids of Melchizedek, those are the eight Beatitudes. For those of you who are Christians, you understand what I'm saying. The ninth day is nine ladies dancing. That's the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. The tenth day, ten lords are leaping. Those are the ten commandments. And, um, if you look at what I'm saying here between the Bible, the Beatitudes, and the Holy Spirit, the Ten Commandments being the tenth day, and then the eleventh day is the eleven faithful disciples, those are the pipers piping. The twelve drummers are the twelve points of the Apostles' Creed. So we have what we're being told in this song, the twelve days of Christmas as we lead up to that special birthday is remember your history that there is an Old and New Testament, the most important part of of understanding that is faith, hope, and charity. That there are four Gospels, there are there are five books of the Old Testament, so that you need to understand that we have a history. That there are six days to creation, which goes back to the, what I always say, it goes back to the Ten Commandments, because if you just follow the Ten Commandments and take a day off after, after not lying, cheating, stealing, killing, all those kinds of things, and keeping just one God and honoring your parents and all those things. You take a day off, those are your six your, your six days of creation. Every day that you're alive, you are creating something, even if you're in bed sick. You're either creating the illusion that you are sick, or you're creating a way to get well, or you are creating in your mind what you will do tomorrow, or you are remembering what you did yesterday. And every time you use that energy, it is a creative energy, whether it, it shows you a production or a productive output or not, doesn't matter. You're still being creative. You are creating a memory, you're creating an energy, you're creating something that goes out to the world, even if you're all alone in bed in your room um, with the flu or whatever. If you're out singing Christmas carols, you're, you're creating joy or you're creating disharmony, depending on how good you sing. It doesn't matter. The point that you're out there creating is what is what does matter, that you are out there creating. Even if we look around our world sometimes, people say, if God was such a good creator, why did he, why he make so many mistakes? Creation is creation. There's no mistakes. I mean, you can look at a giraffe and say that was a mistake because now he can only eat off high trees. His neck is too long. Or you can say, good thing, because somebody has to get to those high trees. That's why his neck is long. And that becomes a miracle and not a problem and not a mistake. So when we look at our own actions, our own acts of creation, we can look at everything we do and make it negative, or we can look at it and say, what's the positive? Was it a good thing or a bad thing that I said this to my friend or my child or, or my lover or my spouse or whatever? Is it good that I did or bad that I did? Well, it's probably neither. You created something that in the big picture, in the larger scheme of things, could be the best thing that ever happened, but you think it's bad. Or it could be the worst thing that ever happened, and because of your ego, you think it's good. And this is a hard, hard thing for people to understand. Creation is not, you know, just having babies. That's not what it is. It's not just painting a picture. It's not just writing a book. It's none of those, it's not making a movie. It's none of those things. Those are creative outlets. But the act of creation is actually the energy within you that is creating outcomes and more creations. And there's no right or wrong to them. 
Some are better than others because of where we come from, and it's the intention behind the creation that counts. So if you have the history behind you and you understand your spirit within this history and you understand that you come from someplace and that there have been all these different paths that people have taken to get to you, to where you are today, and that you're taking paths for the next seven generations, the seven days of Christmas, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, also imply to Native Americans that we are responsible for the next seven generations of people, first as children and then as adults. And so everything that we're doing is a creation for them. And that's something to think about and be more creative about. Is it creative? Is it good for the next seven generations to have a narrow mind or a bias or a hatred? To be filled with anger because you've been taught or trained in, in, in school or in, in the churches or wherever that being black is, is, is horrible or being gay is a terrible thing or being a woman means you're stupid. Whatever you've been taught, is that a good thing for the next seven generations? Or is this something that you need to recreate? That you need to use your creative energy, whether it's in educating people or just your children or just yourself, in changing what that creation looks like, just like you can with a painting or a song or any other kind of creative outlet. If you don't like the way a painting looks, you can change the colors. You can erase it. You can scrape it clean. You can just add a background. You can change the detail. You can make something blur into another. You can do all those things. Same thing with music. If you don't like the tune, if you don't like the harmony, you can change those things and turn it into a whole symphony versus a, a, a small little diddly tune. Um, and we can change ourselves the same way. Instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, I hate this, I hate that, and I hate those people, and I hate those things, we can say, okay, what do I like about this? What's good about this picture? What makes it special? What makes it important? What makes it unique? What makes it the only picture in the world that looks like that? When you look in the mirror, that's a one of a kind. There aren't any more. So the first thing you have to do when you look in the mirror is say, you know what? What a great creation. And I can do things every day to create this creation, make this creation even better. And everything I do is creating other things, other people, children, paintings, music, life. You're doing it with every breath you take. So, what kind of breath should you be taking? You should be taking a breath that's filled with love, not with fear. Not with fear of anything. There's nothing to fear. If you come from love in anything that you're creating, it'll be perfect. Absolutely perfect. Nobody can hate it enough to destroy it. Nobody can put it down enough to make it go away. Nobody can try to erase it because it won't erase. It's permanent. Nobody can change it because it's your creation, not theirs. Just like if you wrote your own story, don't let somebody else change it ever. It's your story. It's yours. So your creation is yours. Everything that you create, whether it's in your mind, with your words, with your music, with your thoughts, with your heart, if it's done with love, you've created a beautiful thing that can last forever. And that's what Christmas is about. That's the beginning of the Christmas podcast, for especially for you, you, you uh, people who are struggling with some of these agendas out there. Even when you look at who's running for the GOP nomination or whatever, when you look at those people, you're creating distance sometimes between your friends. You're creating a bond with others who think like you. 
you're creating a theology, you're creating an ideology in your own mind that could get so cemented that nothing can change it. Um, sometimes you're creating union, sometimes you're creating division, you're creating anger if you're not coming from the right place. Uh, I mean, there's just all kinds of ways of looking at this, and, and when I talk about Christmas, I like to get to the point by the time we get to that day that people only have the intention of love, that people understand that love is universal and is the most creative thing that you can have, and how precious it is, how absolutely precious love is. It's so hard to find sometimes. We're so filled with, with fear and anger, and our history teaches us to be filled with fear and anger because of, uh, in this country, where we how we were built and where we came from. And in other countries, all the hatred and anger they've had for thousands of years that hasn't been changed yet, not by the people anywhere, whether it's within that country or from without. So at Christmas time, I like people to understand that you can and should um, change the world with a little bit of love. And that sounds liberal to many of my right-wing friends. Like, oh, you're like a tree hugger and you want to love everybody. Yeah, I hug trees doesn't mean that I won't thank the tree and chop it down if it needs to get out of the way. The same way I'll do with anybody that is in the way of something that should be better. Um, yes, I do believe that everything in this world is an energy and alive. Does that mean that you don't let other people live or the next generation live because that thing is alive? No. You know, trees, in Native America, we'll go to a tree and try not to hurt it because it is a tree. And trees are like the most sacred symbols out there to me in the plant world. Um, they do so much. They let us breathe. They reach way down into Mother Earth and they always reach the highest to the sky. So we know that there's a connection to us and the trees. But <clears throat> if a tree had to come down so that children could live in a space, I would go to the tree and say thank you for all you've done. And thank you for being here, and thank you whoever planted you, and you've done your job, and now it's time to do another one. And that tree would come down easily, and I would be fine with that. So I'm not a liberal, but I, but I look at the world in a way um, a lot of people can't, I guess. From a, from a perspective that says, I'm not going to judge anything or anybody, which means I don't judge me either. That's the first part. The second part is I'm going to love everything and everybody until they dishonor that love. And when they do, I'll try to educate them otherwise. I'll try to get them back on course. If they don't, I put them outside that circle. They're not in that ring anymore. Until they learn how to come back in, they can't. I keep the boundaries there. So I am bound in, in with rings. I am bound to those who understand and accept love. And know how to give it, know how to how to build it, and know how to create it. And those are the people who end up in my inner circle, who I am engaged to and married to forever. And no matter what they do, because their intention is from love, I will always love them because that love is unconditional. Unconditional love doesn't mean I condone anything that dishonors that love, but it does mean that I will forgive everything as long as their intention was love to begin with. That's the beginning of Christmas. That's what it's all about. So when you're singing songs and you're... <laughs> I don't even like that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, because it's so redundant, but I did use it on, on one of my uh, 
uh, Facebook pages. Um, I said the twelfth, the first day of freedom instead of the first day of Christmas. But uh, when you're singing your Christmas carols and you're out there buying your presents for people and tying it into what you would like and not them, and maybe coming from the wrong place or whatever, and you're and you're involved in the politics of the world and you see everything that's going on and you get angry. And you look at your kids, and they're all trying to be greedy and and wanting everything in the world, and or not. Maybe you got kids who just say they have everything, they don't want anything, and they get angry about Christmas. Whatever. Know that you can recreate the whole thing um, by putting something up on your wall that says love. Now, what could that be? That could be anything. A picture of somebody that you love. Uh, People hang stockings on the on the mantle. We did, and I still hang my daughter's stocking there, even though she was married and long gone, and she's got her own tree and her own whatever. Her stockings up there. Um, lights, because we love to see the colors of the chakras, and we love to see them twinkling, whether it's day or night. And that's one of our ways of, of showing that by understanding Christmas, we've seen some light at least. Um, doing that kind of thing says. I might hate the commercialization of Christmas. I might be a Puritan and not want any expression. But some part of me understands that Christmas is basically about love and where it comes from, where it needs to go, how it's created, and how it maintains itself within us, and what it means for the next seven generations of people. So this is the first podcast. This is just talking about the 12 days of Christmas. I'm going to come back in a day or two. I'm, I'm um, having some things done right now to myself that take me out of out of um, circulation a little bit but uh this is the, you know we're about 10 days away from christmas right now but um the actual 12 days of christmas goes beyond christmas because christmas day isn't the only isn't the end of the 12 days of christmas it goes beyond that it's just like lent and easter it's a little, little like that but i'll be back because i i have a a lot of emails from um, service people who are leaving Iraq or have left um, and Afghanistan and are being deployed or redeployed elsewhere and aren't, aren't quite sure why. Many of them have been away for a year or more from their little babies and some haven't even seen their babies. They left before they were born so their kids are almost a year old. Um, and they always write me every Christmas and say keep talking about Christmas and telling us how to connect because it's so hard to be away from somebody that you love and I know that feeling I know how hard it is to be you know whether it's 2,000 or 10,000 miles away from somebody that you love and you can't get to them they can't get to you and you're trying to connect as much as you can and, and I use the world to do that I use the moon when I see it and I know they can um, the stars when I see them and I know they can even a sunrise because I know the sun is coming up with them too and if you just take those moments and try to connect with them the best way you can memorize what they look like love what they look like love every part of them and send that energy of love out there I can almost guarantee no matter how far away they are if you truly send that energy with the intention of sending love and not the fear of not seeing them or the grief from not seeing them or the anger at whoever sent them there or the sadness because you can't if you just send the love they'll get wrapped in that love and they'll feel you and it'll be almost like you're there almost it's not the same I know that it, uh, there's nothing better than holding on to that person that you love but if you can't 
then you have to use all the energy around you to send it to them so they can feel it and then they can send it back to you and we create love that way with our energy not with our presence not with you know the biggest gift you can buy not with um uh, i don't know getting told to help with something because you didn't have the love in you to say just do it you know those kinds of things that's not it you're you're your, your energy is what creates love. Your energy. All of that stuff in you that comes from your heart. If it's not coming from your heart, it won't show up. If it's coming from your head, it'll show up as something else. So really wrap yourself around it and know that um, I'm going to be doing some more. But know that you can touch people from millions of miles. Even astronauts can touch people from space. Um, if you come from the right intention and you use that energy and, and just wrap it around that person that you're trying to wrap it around, they'll feel it. And they may not even know it because a lot of people don't know what love is, but they'll feel it anyway. And something inside of them will move a little bit and some kind of energy inside of them will recognize it. And then they'll send it back out some more to some more people, maybe back to you. And that would be a good thing. So uh, I'm going to try to come back tomorrow and uh, the next day and the next day and maybe the next day for the next five days and then Christmas Eve as I always do and Christmas Day as I always do. So pass this on, share it, go to earthwalk-usa.com. We, we really didn't do well on uh, Wounded Warriors this year. Well, I, I don't know if I didn't do the right advertising or the books are getting old or whatever, but um, we, we gave almost 5,000 last year and we're only doing... Maybe up to 500 this year, so one tenth of what we did. But um, so, if you still have time and you want to help out the wounded warriors, you know you can always buy 10 books and donate them, <laughs> or send them overseas or something, so that um, those dollars go to those guys and those women who have laid their lives on the line for us. Um, I'll be back in a couple of days. This is Raina G. Thanks for listening. <laughs>